Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And I'm unclean until this evening. <laughs> you had to go there right away, didn't you? <laughs> I, you know, I've been thinking about it all morning long. I'm like, oh, I want to want to use that as my opening line, my opening bit for the podcast. If you're new to the podcast, Church Planner, and you're thinking, what in the world are they talking about? It's just a little Leviticus 15 talk, that's all. Just a little Levit- Leviticus 15. Yeah. Not yeah, Deuteronomy 23.10, by the way. Don't go there. I'm not going there. I, 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 I will tell this quick story to everybody. So I'm in uh, Vegas this last weekend for the uh, UFC fight. We were launching uh, the other magazine, MMA main event with Josh Boyd. He's a church planner out there in Vegas. And uh, so we were doing a launch party. And so I got in late one night. I don't remember which night it was. And I was reading uh, in Deuteronomy, and I came across Deuteronomy 23.10, and I wanted to text Peyton so bad, but it was like 12.30 at night. And I was like, I can't do it. You know, his wife will be ticked because it'll you know make us phone buzz in the middle of the night. But if yeah, you she have, wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. So if you have no idea what Deuteronomy 23.10 is, all you got to do is – like I can't even repeat the verse because then I'm going to have to mark the explicit <laughs> button on iTunes for this particular episode. But it was like – just the perfect verse, and it has to do with being unclean until the evening. But I don't think it yeah. says anything about the uh, two turtle doves or two pigeons. You know, that reminds me of being like uh, when I was in youth. Uh, I was in a youth group. You know, I wasn't saved in the church, and so unfortunately, in fact, our whole youth group was like the bad news bears. Man, I don't know if you remember those films from the seventies. Oh, how could you forget? Those were awesome. Well, like our youth group, seriously, like every, like we actually had like, like exorcisms in our youth group. I'm not even lying. Like we had this one chick, she, uh, like blacked out. She took an overdose of cocaine in class and she blacked out for days. And it was kind of like an urban legend in school, but it was true. Well, this chick came to our youth group and she was like totally demon possessed. One night she started, uh, manifesting. And, um, but anyways, just all the worst kids at our school were getting saved through our youth group. And so, we're in Huntington Beach, and there's all these surfer kids, and they're looking at us, and we're like total dirtbags, right? Well, our youth pastor, man, like, he, he would open up like, you know, hey, uh, you know, it's ask the pastor night. Ask the youth pastor, what what question in the Bible do you have? And uh, we <laughs> – that was a really bad idea. There's a lot of these <laughs> the, the kids would sit around. They'd, like, scour the Bible for verses like um, things like that. You like know? a good find, De- Deuteronomy 23.10. I guarantee you, I've never read that verse before in my life, and I was like, I, I was, I thought it was so funny the second I read it. Like, oh, when when we found Song of Solomon, it was all over. And <laughs> and the funny thing is, is like we love the Lord, but we just we didn't see the disconnect that we were being like really blasphemous. You know, we're like 
treating the word of God like it was nothing. And but it was funny, man. So you're just reminding me of that. That's all, Pete. Great. So I'm reminding you of your uh, junior high years or your high school <laughs> years. Perfect. Absolutely. So, hey, we have a grown-up on the show today. <laughs> Who's sitting here wondering, what did I get myself into? <laughs> His name is Bo Crescetto. He is with InterVarsity. In fact, he's the Greater Los Angeles Director for Greek InterVarsity. And his role is overseeing uh, chapters start on the university campuses. So uh, he's been all around. He's bounced around from San Diego. He's up in L.A. now. Um, and funny enough, we bumped into each other at a, at a LA meeting, but, uh, yesterday for plant LA, give them a little shout out. They're doing a really good, uh, the LA church planning movement at an event called together LA. It's worth getting involved with that. If you're in the LA area, they've got an awesome vision to start 119, uh, churches in the next few years. And so you can get in touch with them. They've got a new website going, I believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It is uh, uh, lachurchplanningmovement.org, I think, or .net. It's not .com, though. I noticed that yesterday. But uh, anyways, we've got uh, Bo on here. Bo has a new book coming out. We'll talk a little bit about that. It's called Beyond Awkwards with IVP coming out in October. But we wanted Bo on this show before we knew this because he has got an incredible website called releasetheape.com. It launched about a year and a half ago. Uh, I subscribed to it when it first came out. I highly, highly recommend you go over there. If you've read Church Zero, cha-ching. Oh, by the way, uh, Bo, when you mention your book or anything you do on here, you have to say cha-ching afterwards. That's the rule. And uh, anyways, uh, Bo, welcome to the Church Planner Podcast. Good to have you. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. So tell us, tell us a little bit of your testimony, just quickly. Like, what's been your journey? How did you come to Christ? Yeah. So didn't grow up in a Christian home at all, from the Seattle area, and actually had a golf scholarship down to University of San Diego. So um, best golf courses probably in the nation. Seventy percent women. I'm in. You know. So <laughs> when I first when I first get there. <laughs> Um, I, I, the first guy I met at school was really connected to the Lord. He was part of InterVarsity, part of the Rock Church, and he just got me connected right away and went to a couple InterVarsity events and realized, whoa, this is a very different picture of God in church than I, I thought. I mean, they're doing like the meetings outside on the lawn and people that look like me and it's fun music. And from that point, I just, um, got underneath their wing. Those guys started talking about faith. Um, got connected to the captain of the soccer team, who was like the stud player um, at the school. And he took me out to dinner every Tuesday night, answered my questions. And I just became a follower of Christ within the first couple months. It just clicked. It made sense. Um, not only the gospel, but the community, um, the people's testimonies. And that's how my journey began. That's cool, man. And so how did you, uh, by the way, in that story, I really related to the stud soccer team uh, guy. I just related to him. <laughs> the you stud pay? soccer team guy. <laughs> I don't play soccer, but I related to him. No, I'm teasing. Okay. <laughs> but but the, uh, so, so how did you get involved in ministry? Because, I mean, you know, you're, uh, you're front line. You're out there on the front lines all the time. Was that kind of shaped by how you got reached for Christ? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a combination from, from day one of becoming a follower of Jesus. I just had an evangelistic gift. I love talking about Jesus. I mean, part of it's probably my sovereign foundations. What I mean by that is I grew up in a business family that's entrepreneurial, <laughs> a lot of sales people around me. So I've always been good at selling or talking about product or I have a business mind. So when I became Christian, um, I think Jesus just infused me with a desire to talk about him and to, uh, in the best sense of the word, um, sell the kingdom, you know, like, let's get it out there. Let's help people know this is awesome thing is right in front of us. And how do you not know about it? But I also was discipled by really strong, uh, evangelistically gifted people in InterVarsity. I mean, it was probably the main gift that was represented. So the guys um, that developed me shaped me into talking about faith well and persuading people into the kingdom, how to preach, how to um, do all that stuff. So 
it just has always been burning on my heart that we need to reach people that are not currently coming to our churches, to our ministries, and people like me, right? Of course, you can't escape your own testimony. How did I not know about Jesus until I got to college? That's just so right. troubling, um, and I want to reach those kind of people as they step onto the campus. I think you raise an, a, a pretty important point that, you know, not everyone does. We assume, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm an American, you know, right. um, of course, right. you know, I'm in America. People know about Jesus, but but they don't and they haven't heard the gospel. I mean, if you go through the bestsellers in, you know, the Christian bookstore, chances are most of those books aren't going to give you the gospel anyways. Right. Yeah. I mean, for me, being on the front line of the university, I see that even more clearly, especially being on the West coast. I mean, most students have not heard the gospel. Um, many students, if they have, are walking away from their faith. So there's just an incredible amount of people that are not coming into college, uh, with a relationship with Christ or even understanding what the heck that means to have a relation with Christ. So yeah, that's my unique perspective and my unique burden to, reach those people and to be someone that can give them an alternative story. That's awesome. So, um, as you're, uh, doing the intervarsity work, tell, tell a little bit about intervarsity and, and what they do, uh, just for people that aren't familiar with that. What does that look like on campus? What do they do and what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, also, I'm also planning a church in Torrance called Vineyard Underground. So um, that's a big part of my life as well. So uh, maybe I can talk about that later. But Yeah, and I um, heard you, uh, your, your partner oh. in crime, James, uh, how do you say his last name? Chung, James Chung. James Chung. So he's, he's your partner in crime. He does a bit of writing as well, right? Oh, yeah. He's come out with a, a couple books, um, True Story, right? You're supposed to say Cha-Ching, right? Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, you got it. <laughs> and then also real life, you can get both of those books. But um, InterVarsity is um, it's a college ministry focused on secular universities and colleges. So we really don't go to Christian universities unless there's a specific uh, reason for witness there. And our, our whole job, our whole focus, what makes us unique is we only focus on the college um, campus. We don't do anything outside of that scope. And what we do is we create ministry to engage people um, right in the middle of the campus with the gospel. Um, we see our calling uh, really as an, as an evangelistic witness. What we say a lot is we establish and advance witnessing communities on college and university. That's our purpose statement. So everything we do is creating a witnessing community or establishing or, or advancing that. And so um, any, any secular university, we're trying to do that. What I specifically do and why I moved to Los Angeles is I target fraternity and sorority students. So InterVarsity is strong in the greater Los Angeles area. We've got really thriving and evangelistic chapters, but they're not reaching fraternity and sorority students very well. Hmm. And so I moved here to start a new ministry that really sets up shop inside the fraternity houses. I get even more on their turf. Um, as you would know, and a lot of the church planners listening, you can have a ministry in someone's even city or neighborhood, but if it's not on their street, um, some people are not even going to go, especially if they're not following Christ. And same on the campus. You can have a thriving ministry on the campus, but a fraternity guy, if it's not in his house, he's probably not going to come. And right. so there's 17 Greek systems in greater Los Angeles area, and I've been charged to start ministry in all 17 Greek systems. And so that's what I'm working towards and what I'm doing. That's cool, man. That's cool. So how, how many of those 17 would you say have been infiltrated? Well, we have um, two so far in a year and a half that are specific. We have ministry that's growing on them, UCLA and USC. Um, I have a guy on the campus there at UCLA that's full-time with me, and his full job is to plant that. I mean, very parallel to, like, he's the church planter of that space, right? Sure, yeah. Um, and then we have a couple interns that are planting USC, and that's growing. But I have connections um, from five other schools that we're working with to establish uh, ministry. So Persons of Peace there, 
they're building core teams um, and we're thinking about, okay, how do we start all these ministries, even if we don't have a plant or this full time? So I like seven, it, man. Seven, seven total. I'm, I've infiltrated in some way. I like it. So uh, really, this is pioneer work. I mean, you're you're really kind of boldly going where people haven't gone before. I, I I can't really say that I've heard of of people infiltrating uh, the Greek systems before. So that's that's pretty cool, man. Yeah, I mean, a quick story, and just to give you a better understanding, what we do is we set up in the fraternity. So we'll have people host discussions in the fraternity where they're doing their crazy parties. Uh, hooking up with people on Friday nights. We're now in that same room talking about Jesus. So it's it's fun and disturbing for a fraternity <laughs> guy to show up and they're like, oh my gosh, they have a conviction. Like, I know what I've been doing in this room, but then there's also a freedom when they're like, wow, I can actually talk about God here and have a uh, exciting conversation about deeper things. And so just even the context awakens them in a sense to the reality that God is everywhere. He's pursuing them. We've actually come to their place, and that shows a huge part of God's heart that searches after lost people. That's awesome, dude. I dig it. So um, tell, tell me a little bit about um, how, as you're doing these, like what do you do? Cause it, really, you are, in effect, you're, you're more apostolic. I mean, um, release the ape is a site that, you know, the apes is an acronym for apo- apostolic, uh, prophetic, and evangelistic. So you're looking at the um, five roles or gifts of Ephesians chapter uh, four, and you're saying release these because obviously we know the shepherd and the teacher, uh, we've got plenty of them. But the release the ape concept is, hey, there's a powerhouse here. Um, you know, it's it's these three roles, uh, they're outward focus. And so you've got a website dedicated to that. Now, you're more apostolic, so you're naturally pioneering. Um, so far, we've heard that from you. You're a startup guy, which is more an apostolic thing. You lay foundations. Other people might come along and build on them. So tell me a little bit, as you're doing this, what does it look like on on the university campus? Let's say that our church planners are out there and they're in a university town. They're like, man, I'd really like to do, you know, maybe you guys aren't, aren't, uh, at the school down the road from them, but they're thinking, man, I really want to do some student ministry. Um, what have you found is the most effective way to reach university students? Yeah. Well, first of all, if you're in the LA area, um, there's 70 campuses in the greater Los Angeles area. Um, and we, our vision is to see a witnessing community on every single one of those campuses. So if you're a church planner in the LA area and you're next to a campus that has uh, no ministry, we want to partner by planting chapters with planting churches. So contact me. I mean, our vision wants to include the local church and we want to do it together. And we actually have an example of that happening um, at LA Community College right now with Kairos Church and InterVarsity. So we, we can come along and help the church planter that doesn't know how to reach the university very well, and they can help us by giving us a multi-generational church experience that's longer than two or four years. So that's one way they, we can help is just contact us. We're not territorial. We're, we want to partner. We want to um, do what we're best at and help you do what you're best at. But if that's not possible, like you're in some other part of the country that doesn't have a, an university presence, I think what's the, the best way to reach a college student first is on a philosophical level, just simply is college students aren't asking what is true because they're, they're, you know, postmodern or even beyond that now, they're generation IY. They're asking what works, what's real. So when you go to a college student, you want to create outreach. You want to create discussions that's talking and showing what is real and what works about Jesus. That's the front door. The back door is why is it true? So my point is I find people that come to the campus that are um, doing straight up evangelism with propositional truths or the four laws or questions like, you know, do you know you're going to go to hell if you don't accept Jesus when you die? Those are attacking uh, a worldview that's asking what is true. When we're taught effectively reaching a college student, part of it is philosophy. And what I've seen is we need to, to be able to um, 
engage them with questions and answer um, why Christianity works, because that's what people are asking that don't believe in absolute truth. They're, they're thinking from their own experience. I'm not saying that's the end goal. We want people to understand the centrality of Christ. But coming with questions, coming with engagement that's showing them how it works in their life, in their family, um, is powerful. That's where people get intrigued. Well, and so, that's, that is actually where people are coming from nowadays. People aren't, you know, they're thinking, you know, hey, life sucks. I mean, I think for those of us that are Christians for a while, we forget. I mean, okay, life still sucks sometimes when you're a Christian, but um, I think you forget sometimes what people feel when they go to bed at night. I think you forget, you know, the despair that people feel when they wake up in the morning. Um, I'm constantly talking to people that are atheists and the constant, just, just this week, I was downtown San Diego. Um, the atheist church was there and we just, we just sat and talked for a while. I talked with one of the atheist, uh, I guess you call them atheist evangelists. And he just, you know, at, at a certain point, cause I wasn't oppositional, I was just talking to him, trying to understand. And I, I mentioned some things and, uh, we had a great talk and <laughs> you start off saying, you know, supernatural and all this fiction. I said, you sure about that? And, you know, it tripped him up a bit. And he, you know, because I've had like so many supernatural experiences and I'm extremely confident in them, right? Um, either that or I'm completely crazy and I'm the only one who doesn't know it. But, uh, oh, we know my it. Super- oh, absolutely. But, you know, at a certain point, he mentioned how lonely he was. And so I, you know, I, I find this, what you're putting a finger on right there, Bo, is the fact that, you know, as Christians, you can forget that people are actually thinking, my life kind of sucks. And if you've got something that makes life suck less, and I, I hear what you're saying, yeah, it's a somewhat pragmatic approach. But if it's where people are at, if it is the doorway for the gospel, where Jesus, you know, as he says, if any man thirsts, you know, if any man thirsts, he yells out in the temple courts, right? Um, during the feast, uh, let him come to me and I will give him, uh, the waters, the living waters. So here's the deal is, you know, um, I think there is a thirst in people and that's what you're identifying. Sure. We want them to, to come to, uh, the objective truths, but it's, it's that hunger. It's that restlessness that St. Augustine talks about in people. Yeah. So I would just say, if you're going to try and reach a campus, um, come in, try and engage them that way, or they're going to write you off. Uh, they're, even though those that are Christian, they tend to be more post-Christian. So they already know those truths. I already know those things. Come at the, the, the more subjective things that they're feeling as a starting point, not as an ending point. And the second thing I would say is I find tremendous, um, what's the word, success studying scripture with people that aren't Christian as well. So people love looking at the narratives of Jesus for the same reason. They can see their life um, in the person interacting with Jesus. We call them God investigation groups, gigs. And I've tons of training on that. You know, again, email me if you if you want more of that stuff. But um, just a quick story, meeting with a raging fraternity guy at USC, um, you know, that's dating multiple women, hooking up. I mean, every stereotype you can think of Greek. <laughs> and... Tucker um, Max, right? <laughs> yeah. The last scripture you would think to study with that guy would be the woman at the well, because he's just a total alpha male raging fraternity guy. But God spoke to me clearly, you know, sit down and show this guy the woman at the well and help draw out for him the, that theme of thirst. So I sit him down and we're talking. And what I do in a gig is I just help him see Jesus. I help him see the person, which in this case is the woman. And how do they interact? How do they talk? What What is Jesus' approach? And the guy just uh, breaks down, and, and he's like, I, I need that living water. How do I get that living water? Hmm. You know, I have this perpetual emptiness in my soul that I'm trying to fill with women. And we're able to lead him to Christ from that point. Yeah. It was what I was saying earlier. He, he realizes what I'm doing is not working. Jesus right. is giving her an alternative that works. It's pragmatic, but that's how college students think. Absolutely, and, and you got to you gotta approach them that yeah. way. So, yeah, so that's 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 what I find really successful and helpful with reaching a student. Hey, Pete, this guy's crazy. He thinks God talks to him. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Well, you know, it's funny because your website. We were having this talk, Bo, and I I said to you yesterday at the uh, you know Plan LA or the what do I keep calling it that Together LA. Um, 
that I actually think you wrote one of the best uh, articles on church planning I've ever read. We are putting it in the next uh, issue of Church Planner Magazine, and it's called Church Planning Love or Hate It. Obviously, when you get a, a guy like that who comes to faith, you walk out, you're dancing out the door going, this is why I do what I do, right? Exactly, um, on other exactly. days, though, it, you know, you're like, why am I doing this? And, you know, because it's hard. And so you bring up in that article, it's um, church planning, we love and hate it, um, which uh, if they go on there is great. You, you also, uh, not only in that, you've, you've got a bunch of prophetic uh, articles. There's kind of this, this, I would say your blog right now is really, um, it's always been good, but it's, it's exceptionally good right now. Um, it's been really oh, good. Thanks. So I want to I want to talk about the prophetic a little bit and your heart for that. But talk about those days, man, where it's tough because you know our audience is a bunch of church planners and they definitely can relate to those days where they're like, man, Mama said there'd be days like these. So so did Peyton and Pete, and it sucks right now. How do you get through that stuff? Yeah, I mean, whenever you're planning and starting things, you're 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 putting yourself in the place of failure more often than in the place of success. So um, part of our visceral feelings and reaction is that we're constantly living in a, in a place of disappointment. That whole article started because I wanted to write about how I realized every week I'm disappointed all the time. And I'm like, that's weird because I'm a pretty optimistic and hopeful person and I see great things happen. But I realized when you're a planter, when you're starting something new, you're purposely putting yourself in a place to get disappointed. Mm -hmm. Even if something happens, it's still disappointing compared to the big thing you want to see happen. Mm. And what I realize is that what gets me through is realizing I am following the way of Christ that is sacrificially displacing myself so something new can happen. New things can't happen if someone's not willing to step into the void that is currently there and take on disappointment after disappointment after disappointment until it becomes um, exciting and legitimate and strong. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so what gets me through it is realizing it is a joy set before me to be the guy that takes a disappointing area, which can be an area or a city or, an, or a campus that has no ministry on it, to turn that into a place that has a thriving ministry. Well, the equation is simple. To take a, a voided area and turn into a, a thriving one uh -huh. means someone has to stand in that gap and take hit after hit after hit until it turns into something great. So it just gives me that strength to say, this sucks right now, but it's not the end of the story. And this won't yeah, turn amen. one sits there and takes the hits. It, it's funny you say that because it's like how Paul says, hey, one sows, another reaps. Paul's telling you sometimes, hey, someone's what you're saying, you got to take the hit. Someone has to do that before the knockout punch. And I just find it interesting because Pete and I have been doing this for a while. And Pete is an entrepreneur. And you mentioned saying at the very beginning that you have you, all your family were salesmen. They were all entrepreneurs. And what's amazing yep. to me is that one of the most effective evangelists I've ever seen was a real estate agent, and he said to me, "What?" Because he came over to Wales, and he he just cleaned up. I mean, the guy was clearly Ephesians four evangelist. And I took him aside and I said, "Dude, like I've never I've never seen anybody on the streets like you." And I had a really cool street preaching evangelist who was very effective, but this guy was one on one. He he'd be talking to to Welsh people, and they'd be in tears. You know, almost every conversation they'd start crying and. He'd pray with them, and I'm like, dude, what? Like your machine? You're like the evangelistic terminator, right? <laughs> and and what was awesome was that uh, he looked at me and he said, "I'm a salesman," and he he wasn't being fleshy. This guy was totally spirit filled, but he goes, "Being a salesman taught me one thing: I'm used to rejection." And he said, yep. "Most people are afraid of evangelizing because they're afraid of rejection." He says, "Once you get over that, it's all downhill." all downhill. And especially once you can take it as a joy, meaning Christ has multiple verses, whether it's in the Beatitudes or Paul, or it's a joy, right? You can't know Christ unless you know him in his suffering also, or Jesus says, blessed for those who are persecuted. I mean, there's obviously he's talking about a, even a deeper persecution than someone saying no to your 
flee to come to Christ, but that is part of it. And we need to not only be able to get through that, but we have to learn how to see it as a joy. Um, like I said before, you, you can't start a new thing without stepping into the resistance. Someone mm. has to do it. And you get to take the resistance. You also get to take the joy of seeing the new thing start. I dig it. Pete, what, what do you think about it as an entrepreneur? Because that, that's a lot of the mindset that you have, right? Like when I asked Pete, you know, um, he has a saying, hey, give me your mantra about the, the gazelle when you wake up in the morning. Oh, that wasn't mine. That's off of like one of those simplicity signs that you see in the... It's uh, off quotes.com, but it's brilliant. <laughs> I, I lo- Whenever you say that, I always relate to it. What, what's that saying I again? I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it's something along the lines of... Uh, <laughs> If you're a lion in Africa every morning, you no wait no. If you're a gazelle in Africa every morning, you wake up. You got to run faster than the slowest gazelle, or the lion's going to get you. And if you're a lion in Africa every morning, you wake up. You got to run faster than the slowest gazelle, or you're not going to eat. But every day, whether you're a lion or a gazelle, you got to start running. Yeah, I mean, basically, what what an entrepreneur wakes up with is this idea that uh, hey, man, it's it's game on today. You know, it's like you you can't you can't have an off day or you don't eat, you don't pay your bills. And so um, I think, you know, that that's how church planners feel when they wake up in the morning. Yeah, I mean, if I can just add into that, um, and I, I know you guys believe this, but just to make clear to some of those other people, especially if they're younger, is obviously that's true for an entrepreneur. And part of that is true for a planter, but uh, a business entrepreneur especially they're not Christian is not equating God's role as the, the one that builds um, in the power of the spirit. So to add on to, to to your earlier question, how do I get through those hard days? I build in uh, monthly reflection days. I take the whole day just to reflect Hmm. on what's been going on. And the reason I do that is, is I'm asking one clear question or two clear questions. Where am I fearful? And then where am I operating in my own strength? And as a planter, you, you've got to recalibrate frequently with um, where's their fear in my life and how am I being motivated or moved out of fear? Because fear opposes faith, not doubt. Fear does. Jesus always comes or angels come. They do not fear. So when we're planting out of fear, like this isn't going to work or these people aren't going to come or this is going to fall apart, we'll never create spirit led things. And if I'm, also living it just into my strengths as articulate or um, bold or whatever those things that come with being entrepreneurial, I'm going to build things in my own strengths. So I'm always asking God, where do I need your power? Where am I relying on my own? How do, how am I, or am I not trusting you that as I plant, you'll build, or as I water, you'll build, how am I um, off on my perspective that I have this incredible partnership with you that you're calling me to be an entrepreneur in, that's just not how I was raised as a business entrepreneur. Mm. That's some reworking that I've always needed to go with my natural skills, but it's dangerous in the kingdom if you don't um, realign. That's a that's actually a really good point. I mean, I guess in a way what, what I'm thinking is when you're looking at Paul and you're looking at you, um, you just got to keep you got to keep up. My, my, my point there is that you just got to keep running at it. I mean, you, you totally. can't let the discouragement get a hold of you. But I think you're bringing up exactly where Paul goes, where he talks about, you know, um, watering and sowing. God alone. And he says that, that God alone gives the increase. None, none of us is ever going to be able to do the real work, right? I was watching my baby the other day, and she was, you know, she's six months old. And, you know, she was born at one pound, two ounce. So she's always had a little bit of challenge. So her little, yeah, when we, we first met her, she was two pounds, dude. And, uh, she was no bigger than when she was born than, than the palm of the nurse's hand. And so we took her home at four pound, but you know, amazingly, uh, she has, we call her Supergirl. That's her nickname. That's not her real name. I'd love to name her that as her. Andrea wouldn't let you. No. And if I have a boy, I'd like the name like Aquaman or something stupid. But, you know, the the cool thing is that, you know, every little thing she does is so cool. And the other day I was just watching her and she was, forgive me for this, but she was taking a dump, right? In her pants, obviously, because she's six months. And she was working so hard at it. Like her face turns red. She gets a little bit of tears in her eyes, you know, 
all of her concentration is sucked up and making this little little thing happen, you know. So sounds and it's like funny. me. You know, I was thinking of you when it happened. I'm like, that's like Pete, because we talk about that all the time. But, you know, the funniest thing is, is that she's working and like in my heart, I'm celebrating. I'm like all happy for it. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, bless your heart. You're really working hard at that. And, you know, it's precious. And and I just was like, the Lord spoke to me like, that's like when you're doing ministry. That's exactly what's happening. <laughs> You know, I'm like going, mm, you know, and I'm, 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 you know, it's like, it, it, that's all it is really at the end of the day. It's just, it's just a bunch of crap, right? Anything I do, the real work is being done by peristalsis. Real, real right. work is being done by the sympathetic nervous system. Um, the real work is, is really being done by things I'm not even in control of, hmm. right? Parts of my, my brain, my, my hypothalamus is, is the coordination center of my central nervous system is making this stuff happen. And uh, I mean, not the hypothalamus, the medulla oblongata. You know, it's just funny because my, uh, you know, my efforts really don't mean a lot, but I was just thinking like, you know, and yet the Lord's like, Hey, you know, I'm with you. I'm celebrating. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm making all this happen. And, you know, it's just kind of funny that that is really the accurate picture of ministry. Or as Mark Driscoll yeah. likes to say, take your kids to work day, right? They're banging around on your right. on your keyboard and uh, it's cute. <laughs> 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 they think they're doing daddy's job, but, you know, not really. Hey, hey Bob, let me ask yeah, you, how, how do you yeah. um, how do you first engage with a, uh, a Greek house? So, I mean, what, what does it even look like when you're putting on these discussion group nights? How does the conversation start out? I mean, how do you get that invitation to do that? I mean, really, how does it start? Yeah, I mean, there's multiple ways. There's not one uh, way we go about it. I mean, sometimes we have a contact at a university, and then I just go and share with them our vision, and they're like, hey, we need to do this in the house, and then we start doing it in the house. And when, when you say you have a conversation or, of... What are you like projecting as the image of what this thing would actually be? Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, I mean, if that's the scenario that I actually have a, a person that is interested in sitting down with me, yeah, the vision we share is, look, um, God wants to create space in your sphere of influence to um, make himself known. And what we do with Greek University, which is if I'm talking to this student, is we, we want to um, we want to do that inside your fraternity. We believe that God, um, the core, core tenet of Christianity is incarnation, and that Jesus, as he came to earth to be amongst us, uh, we want our ministry to come to you and be amongst you. We want people to realize that God is real and near you. And then what we'll also say to a Greek is, listen, um, we want the Greek life and the faith life to come together. So what I mean by that is a lot of times if you're Greek and you go to a Christian meeting, you're going to get weird looks with people like, oh, you're Greek and you actually would come here and, and you feel alienated. But when you share in your fraternity house, oh, I'm actually interested in Jesus, your fraternity brothers look at you and go, what? You're Christian and you're Greek and you feel alienated. Well, we need to create a space inside your house where people that want to follow Jesus and want to be Greek can feel at home and feel like those two worlds can collide and honor God and do things right. And I'll say, if you're someone that's willing to open up that space, you don't have to know how to lead that right away. I can do it. I can train you. I can apprentice you. But I can't know your friends. I can't invite your friends. I can't know your brother. So you're the, the person that can open that space for us. You know, what do you think about that? Mm. That's, so that's what we'll talk about. So uh, we, you know, we were talking a little bit. Your book is Beyond Awkward. And what was the subtitle for that again? When talking about Jesus is outside your comfort zone. It's such a brilliant title, and 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 you and I were talking a little bit before the podcast, and we were saying that you know the book obviously it comes out in October, IVP. And you said, you know, I, I'm apostolic, and if you know, uh, you're going to mention Church Zero here, ching. Uh, but church, church Zero, one of the things that I do is I use an, an analogy of a Swiss Army knife because it's my my belief that if you're apostolic, you have the other gifting as well. Maybe you know it's not as strong, you know, but there's usually one of one of those gifts uh, in Ephesians four is what I call your big blade. 
So because you're a foundation layer, you've got to have a little kind of like a one man band, right? You, you don't want a one man band playing a concert, right? Um, because, you know, it's just too much for one guy to do. And so you're able to do a little bit of each one of those. But you mentioned, you know, obviously I'm apostolic and you are, but you said my, my, my biggest gifting is um, evangelistic. And so I, I would say that's your big blade, right? On a Swiss army knife, that's your, your most useful tool. The others are great, you know, screwdriver, can opener, but some of the other tools are kind of lame, but that's your big blade. And so uh, one of the things that, that, is, is very nice about that is it's been missing largely the the concept of evangelism hasn't been touched on very much in the missional conversation. And so we're hoping you bring a little bit of attention uh, on that. That's certainly where a lot of our church planners are feeling uh, that, that they need some input. So t- talk to me a little bit about your passion for evangelism. And, and, and I remember before you were like, I can talk about that. I got a lot to say about that. So go. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So um, probably if I had to um, give you just even a little blurb about my book, the, the main thrust is evangelism is awkward, but it's worth it. What um, I've been training on at churches and universities for six years on this concept, and that's what people, um, why they encourage me to write this book. It's based off Philip, the evangelist in Acts. Hmm. And the point is his encounter with God was two, or with, with the Ethiopian was two part. One was God led him to uh, a place that he didn't even know existed at the beginning of his day. So a lot of evangelism has to do with following the Spirit and interacting with the Spirit and trusting him to go to places or talk to people that feels weird or uncomfortable. Um, the second part is that encounter with the Ethiopian was so weird. I mean, he was told to go run up next to the chariot he had to interject a question to start the conversation. And I'm raising the point, would we ever do that? I don't think so. In our culture, we feel like we have a theology that's bad, but it's under the surface that says if God would ever, if something is ever um, uncomfortable or weird, then God is not in it. That's a theology we believe that's not true. And so we don't press people for conversion. We don't um, step into Kairos moments because we don't ever want to make someone uncomfortable, or we don't want to feel uncomfortable. So I'm unpacking that. Um, What I feel is really troubling right now with evangelism in the church, and I love the missional church. I love what Exponential is doing. I love what Forge is doing. I love what Missio is doing. I love what a lot of church planners are doing. Love it, love it, love it. I want to make that clear. But what I'm concerned about is we've made a reaction from uh, the church growth movement where it was all about getting people saved and um, standing up in church for to make a conversion moment, and, and it was all about the moment, and there was no discipleship. We've become allergic to that, so we've yep. swung to the other side of the pendulum to say it's all about the journey, and it's all about making people comfortable, and it's all about um, longevity. And some of that is absolutely true, and we need to respect the journey. But I think we've made the journey an idol, and I think I agree. that we now— have not allowed ourselves to press people for moments. So that's a little bit of where I'm going. Do you want to ask more questions on that or I can keep talking? No, you know what? I, I actually could not agree with you more. It, it's something that I've noticed because evangelism is something that's very uh, important to me personally. Um, and I, I wonder, like, did something happen? Like, did, did I miss out on something here? Because I'm seeing a lot of statements uh like, you know, Jesus didn't come to get people into heaven. He came to get heaven into people. And I, whenever I hear statements like that, I'm thinking, okay, I, I see where you're going. Yes, he did come to get heaven into people. But, but that first little clause there, he did not come to get people into heaven. It's just not accurate. Like, why are we making these either or statements? He came to do both. And I, I could actually accept your statement uh, it, like you said, the pendulum swing, you know, we've swung yeah. too far. He's come to do both. And and maybe we don't have to pick and choose between those two things. Well, I totally agree. And um, been been going to some of these conferences and listening to some of these uh, missional thinkers. And I think I'm hearing more and more of the, some of these authors and speakers setting up evangelism uh, against 
uh, other paradigms like that. So it, it's not about getting to heaven. It's about getting heaven into them. Or, you know, it's not about, um, you know, selling people the gospel. It's about the journey. So we don't want you to ever have to do that. And it's like, well, now you're, you're making people feel like selling is only bad or persuading is only bad. And now, you know, I'm off the hook to ever have to convince my friend. Yeah. And it's subtle, but it's setting up uh, this this new journey type of way against uh, throwing the baby out of the bathwater. Absolutely. So w- what I'm trying to press is, and I've, I've literally had conversations with some leading thinkers that say they don't think every Christian should or can lead someone to faith. And, um, I mean, it's just incredible to me that that would be true. And <laughs> from the first point is, how do we all make disciples if we can't lead people into the kingdom of God? Absolutely. Certainly we never, certainly we would never say it's not every Christ, Christian's role to make a disciple. Well, we need a disciple, skeptics and seekers, and that's called evangelism. When I, th- I think your model of what you think the Ephesians four uh, giftings are meant to do, I mean, obviously first and foremost, they're meant to uh, not replace Jesus, but be Jesus in the world. Um, you know, obviously Jesus was all five of those roles, right? He was the apostle, yeah, yeah. He was the shepherd. He was so we're not replacing him, but we're being him. He is in us. We are the body of Christ. So that's the first thing. Secondly, um, we are. You know, here's the subtle difference. You can either approach that when it says equip the saints and believe that maybe in my congregation of a hundred people. You know, 20% of those are evangelists. And so the evangelist equips those 20% that are going to be evangelists. Then say the apostolic guy equips another 20% that's going to be apostolic. For me personally, I believe that each of those five roles is there to pull on the individual believer and to tease out of him. Um, more of Christ that looks apostolic. And then the evangelist who maybe shares the pulpit, you know, it's a team leadership, let's say, um, he teases out um, the evangelistic part of me that without that evangelistic leader, I wouldn't get equipped in that area. But yeah, you know what? The Holy Spirit, Christ in me wants to be evangelistic. And I need that leader pulling that out of me. Does that make sense? And and it's a subtle difference. But if I just believe that uh, in my congregation, you know, um, it, it's just, you know, like produces like each produces according to their kind, rather than that Christ is all five and he's given guys who specialize because I also am meant to embody all five. That's a, It's a subtle yet important difference. Yeah, I mean, I would just say um, uh, a couple things off that. One is uh, I do think there are gifted evangelists which I can unpack if you want. I, but I also think the call to be a witness is for yes. everyone. Yes, and indeed. a witness, which is clear from the beginning of Acts, is we need to go and make disciples. Well, that's part the way we live, and that's part the way we speak. And um, what I'm worried about right now is the way that we are really, um, you know, subduing or just putting down the urgency for every believer to know how to speak and share the gospel and lead people into the kingdom. I do think there are unique people in the church that have the gift or vocation of evangelism that need to equip, that have a larger burden, but in no way is that mutually exclusive from everyone knowing how and being able to lead people to Christ. Thank you so much for that, because uh, as we're looking at you know, you're coming in, you're definitely a missional thinker and you're part of the missional conversation. And to hear somebody coming into that and saying, hey, let's kick it a bit old school right now and actually talk about evangelism because I'm worried this is getting drowned out. Um, Evangelism is something that the church has actually gotten right. And so, you know, let's not throw out something we got right uh, just because we got other stuff wrong. Let's work on the stuff we've been getting wrong, but let's not check out what we've been getting right. Because evangelism has been something that's been strong for the church, and rightly so. Yeah, absolutely. And culture is changing, and our approach needs to change. But let's not throw out evangelism just because certain approaches might not be working or is helpful now. I think that's another thing that's happening. We're seeing people, quote-unquote, using approaches from the 80s that worked really well still today, and it's not working yeah, and we're absolutely. saying, oh, evangelism doesn't work because that guy is being really annoying over there. 
Like, no, it works. We need different approaches maybe. And we should think that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one one of the things that we found in the UK was that uh, street preaching, right? That's still effective there. And, you right. know, people here to be like, oh, street preaching's crazy. You would never do that. And, may, you know, maybe maybe it's not as effective in parts of America. But in the UK, I tell you who it's effective. To, to 10% of the population, it is extremely. And I'm talking about, like, you know, addicts, cultists, um, you know, homeless. It's extremely, you know, to, to the people that, that follow Jesus, you know, that flock to him, street preaching is very effective. And I, I was one of those guys like, oh man, don't do that anymore, you know? And then I got this crazy street preacher who I just watched and it, those are the people he reached. He reached all the people that fell through the cracks by every other method. And you're like, okay, you know, your approach works. It just works for maybe not upper or middle class, um, but it definitely is working. It's just working for people that don't get reached by the other other approaches. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We we need to use all the approaches. I mean, the, it's it's being a good missionary or a good apostle first. It's saying, you know, what's the context? It's it's Acts 17. You know, what are these people doing? What what are what are they worshiping? And then how do I communicate? So. Street preaching is the, the best form. We need to do it. Um, what I'm most concerned with right now and putting my thinking and speaking and influence towards is I want every person in the American church to know that it's their job and know how to lead people to faith at work, in their neighborhoods, in their third spaces. It's absolutely necessary, and it needs to be uh, an urgent um, expectation. And I'm just concerned at these conferences I'm going to where it's kind of like, well, maybe you'll do evangelism, but don't worry about it too much. Just just create a missional community and people will eventually come to Christ. And, and then if they're really open, bring an evangelist in to help them. It's just, it's letting people off the hook and you can hear me getting fired up. It pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah. We like that. Makes for a good podcast. So, <laughs> Get fired up. <laughs> so hopefully they, they keep letting me come around. I don't know. Well, see. Well, I tell you what, man, if they don't, then, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And eventually a new <laughs> movement will start with guys that are really pissed off. And it'll be really good. <laughs> <laughs> talk briefly about the role of the prophetic. Um, that's something. And then this will be our last talk before we sign off today. But, uh, you know, obviously on your website, um, releaseape.com, we're seeing more and more articles from a prophetic perspective. Do you want to talk about that role for a second? and the importance of it, and uh, why you particularly feel burdened right now to make sure that voice is heard. And just so you know, I'm a Baptist, so I'm not sure if I even believe in the prophetic. <laughs> he thinks we're both crazy, so, but, you know, by all means. <laughs> well, yeah, let me launch into this. Um, let me first by saying, I'm developing this. I, I have it on my blog because I think it's something we need to, to understand and release. And you obviously can't release it in the church very well if we don't understand it very well. So I would say prophetic is one of my least uh, developed and, and natural gifts. Doesn't mean I don't want to care or, or worry about it, but I'm leaning on people to help me think about this. What I've what I'm coming to understand is I think part of the reason the prophetic is is difficult to talk about, and it's, it's actually very polarizing, maybe even more polarizing than, than A or E, is I think there's, there's many layers to the prophetic. What I'm coming to understand, and I have a lot to learn here, is I think there's many dimensions, and those dimensions tend to polarize other camps. For instance, I think that there is a dimension of the prophetic, or certain prophetic types, that are justice-minded and are challenging the status quo, the value. So if you think of an organization, your prophetic type is going to be the one who's saying, are we really truly holding, holding true to our values? Are we doing what our mission says? Well, I think you see prophets emerge like a Shane Claiborne going, we're not caring about the poor very well. We're not living simply. We are totally underneath the, the vice of capitalism, and we need to do this differently. That's a prophet. But I also think there's prophets that are um, more um, living into the miraculous, meaning they may have a word that, that is uh, for the future, or they may have uh, a word of knowledge or an insight. They may have something that is more towards the mystical or miraculous, um, where they're almost like a John the Baptist coming out of the woods saying, like, this is what God's saying, and we need to do this. We need to pay attention. That's scary, because it's hard to always know if they're from God or not, 
But I do think there are prophetic people that hear from God in special ways that have words that are that are needed for our church at the current time. Not to say there's not a lot of caution with that. There is, and there's lots of ways that can go wrong. But again, we, we have to understand who are pro- prophetic people that are that are doing well there. Um, and then I think there's another dimension um, that is uh, people that are really pushing like the justice side. So it's it's like a Shane Claiborne, but it's people that are really uh, concerned with immigration, uh, concerned with multi ethnicity, um, concerned with the poor. Those are prophetic people as well that are rising up. So some of those prophets won't agree with the other definition of prophets, and I think that's why it's hard. We can't just say, here's one example. And to find writers on it that are doing that, I also find prophets don't necessarily want to write about all their stuff. They just want to be out there doing it. So yeah. I'm having a hard time finding people that want to help define it in a, in a way that's palatable. I think you're right. I think that even many prophets don't, uh, this is my experience now, um, the prophetic leaders that I'm aware of, they don't always understand themselves. In fact, when I wrote Church Zero, cha-ching, um, the, uh, the prophetic leader that I wrote about, um, Jeff, I asked him to write something and he couldn't. And then I wrote, I just wrote the prophetic uh, section just thinking of him. And he read right, it. Right. Said, you know, he 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 literally read it and said, "I think that's the first time I've ever understood myself over all these years." He <laughs> said, "You nailed me. You absolutely mm. nailed me." And of course, I served with the guy for five years, very intimately, um, side by side, did everything together. Batman and Robin. Uh, I was Batman. I always get to be Batman. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> just tease him. But uh, but but I think a lot of these guys they don't. They haven't sat down. It's not. It's not even really a prophetic leader. Often he he's not even thinking that way. He's got a burden and has to work its way out. Like you said, they're frustrated. They don't like red tape. They don't like sitting in meetings. They're always frustrated in those scenarios. They got to go out and do something. They'll look around and go, you know, we stop talking about this. You know, they're they're men of action. You know, and, right. and they're easily frustrated. So I, I well, think, and I think the oh, go ahead. No, go for it, man. I'm done. Oh, I was saying, I also think the prophetic, I mean, like the evangelist, like the apostle, they don't always fit well in a team or they're, they tend to be pushed to the side. But I think specifically prophetic leaders, if, if whoever the leader is of the team, the head pastor or the ministry leader, if they don't have a lens on to say, I want prophetic people in my ministry and I want to develop and release it, prophetic people are so annoying and they will be pushed to the side. They will be seen as almost a renegade. Like you just cause me more trouble than you cause good. Hmm. And so I think, I think we, it's so important that ministry leaders have a lens on to say, we need the person on our team. That's going to keep showing us where we're blowing it. That's what yeah. prophets in old Testament would do. This is God's word. We're not meet, We're not meeting it. And here's the, the future condemnation that's coming. And I think sometimes we need the, the prophetic people in our team that are going to say, we're blowing it here according to our mission or according to God's word. And we have to give them voice, even though it's really annoying and it's not strategic <laughs> or organizationally aligned all the time. So you're saying that we got to let them talk, even though we want to saw them in two and stone them to death. <laughs> yeah. And I love what Alan Hirsch talks about too. Like the prophet and the apostle might not always agree very well. They could be very against each other because the yeah. apostle wants to move forward and the prophet wants to slow you down. Mm. Um, let's get aligned with our values here. So even allowing uh, people that That's you don't true. really like yeah, on your team is helpful. Yeah. Yeah, that that's very true. I think for that reason, and this might be above the heads of some of our guys, um, they're like, I'm not even here. I don't even have a prophetic leader. But I think for that reason, the, the answer to that is those two spending a lot of time together. That's yeah. the way that I think you make that work. The prophet and the apostle, if they spend time together, they're like handing love. If they don't spend yep. time together, they're going to be at cross purposes. But you know, the, it, it, it is a beautiful relationship. And, um, but anyways, Hey man, we could talk for hours on this stuff, Bo. It's been great. We usually run an hour. So thanks for letting us pick your brain, get inside your head, uh, tie some knots in your noodle and let you do the same for us. And, uh, again, <laughs> the, the book is coming out in October. 
and it's called Beyond Awkward. The guest today has been Bo Crescetto. He has released the ape.com and uh, definitely go check him out. Uh, write to him if you need some help. If you want to launch out into your campus, Bo has made himself available as a resource. Bo, want to thank you for coming on. And this has been the Church Planner Podcast reminding you if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you have to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Music